0: here we go it's another big week in the nfl for the new york giants this is the giants wire podcast powered by usa today sports now your host ryan o'leary and giants wire editor dan benton welcome to the show good to be back on the mic for a uh, free agency edition of the giants wire podcast with you dan it's uh been a wild start to free agency not so much for the giants but in terms of big name guys switching teams around the nfl i mean i don't think we've seen anything like it and we're still like a month away from the draft so it's uh it's it's definitely been fun how you doing man i haven't talked to you in a while
1: i'm doing good i've been enjoying free agency just like everybody else i mean the giants have been you know sort of what you expected them to be this off season so far but the rest of the league on the other hand is going absolutely insane and um some of the moves that are being made are just they're wild and it just doesn't seem to be slowing down it makes for a it makes for a very entertaining watch if you're on the outside looking in if you're covering those teams though probably not so much so uh i feel the pain for my fellow usa today writers
0: yeah it's been busy and uh, i think our number one question for this show is what are the giants doing wait what are, what are the what's the giants plan and uh a few bullet points dan and correct me if i'm wrong They're definitely bargain hunting, right? They're looking for the best deals they can find. Uh, They're definitely slashing salary, as Joe Shane promised that he would. Um, It really appears that they're attacking the fringe of the roster, right? They're bringing in a lot of former Bills, a lot of former Ravens, because of obvious connections to the coaching staff. And it really seems like they're targeting depth right now, uh, more so than making a big swing for the fences, big splash, right? Like, no splash moves unless you want to call the offensive lineman from Indy Mark Glowinski uh the right guard if you want to call him a splash because he got 3 years uh fine but i mean that's the closest thing we have to a big splash you know while every like all these guys like Tyreek Hill Devontae Adams Russell all these guys are changing teams the big splash for the the New York Giants is Mark Glowinski right so that's that's kind of where we're we're at
1: right i mean listen that's that that is where it is for the Giants i know some you know, aren't necessarily thrilled with the uh, the low-key start to free agency. That's not going to change, by the way, through the rest of free agency. Um, you know, it turned out to be true. Kevin Abrams said it last year. He said this this season, this off season, was going to be rough for the Giants financially. Uh, that turned out to be very much the case. It continues to be rough because they haven't dealt James Bradbury yet, which we'll talk about later. Uh, ditto Shaqu- uh, Shaquan Barkley, who I don't, you know, Shaquan Barkley, who I don't think is going to be traded. Uh, that's another topic. But outside of those two big names potentially being on the trade block, yeah, it's been quiet for the Giants. Understandably, so I, I think a lot of the signings have come at key positions in areas that needed depth. Uh, we talked about it a lot last year. The Giants were extremely thin at a multitude of positions, if not all positions. So it was really imperative for the Giants to come in and start building the roster from the bottom up. Uh, there's a lot of decisions that are going to be made on the future of players. Daniel Jones' fifth-year option, obviously, is coming up. The future of Saquon Barkley, whether or not he's going to get a, a traded or a contract extension, probably unlikely. Um, things like that. So I really think the Giants are building, and Shane is building, more for 2023, more so than 2022. Right now they're just trying to you know, get the finances right, set the foundation, trying to make sure that there's a very limited amount of dead cap going forward forward even though there is going to be some there's going to, there's going to be a lot to eat this year obviously and unfortunately um, that sort of just shows the, the job that Dave Gettleman and Kevin Abrams did last year and the year prior uh, but there have been no surprises you know this is what was expected of the Giants this offseason in a free agency and they've stayed true to that
0: yes yeah, certainly a more calculated approach than the previous regime I guess we could say we could say that right because you know we expected you know especially when Joe judge came in Dan I expected the Giants to kind of adopt the Patriot way kind of uh and I feel like this is more like the Patriot way what Joe Shane's doing with this roster is more like what Belichick does uh, where he will you know in terms of guys on the roster that they're they're looking to maybe move on from or bring back there it seems like they're really evaluating and valuing those guys at a certain price and then if you know, the team moves on from that player. It's probably because they got a better deal elsewhere and they just didn't want to come up to that number. And, like, I look at Evan Ingram, like, one year, $9 million for the tight end. We love you, Evan. Good luck in Jacksonville kind of thing, right? We'll take the comp yep. pick. You know, we'll take the comp pick. Uh, another one, Austin Johnson, really good defensive lineman for the Giants, but a raise to two years, $14 million, 10.6 guaranteed. Just wasn't going to happen. It wasn't the offseason for that, right? A guy I really look at, like, Lorenzo Carter, like, tell me a little bit about Lorenzo Carter, right? Because I feel like he's maybe the best example of the Giants placing a value on a player and not, not really budging from that value. I mean, he got one year, three and a half million from Atlanta. And it sounded like the Giants wanted him back, but they wanted him back closer to the vet minimum. And if they wanted the player, but felt one year at three and a half million and two guaranteed was too rich. I mean, doesn't that tell us all we need to know about where they're at right now with and, and how they're evaluating the existing guys on the roster and making decisions?
1: Well, I think there are multiple variables that factor into that I mean obviously that's one of them. They're placing specific values on their internal free agencies free agents, and they're not you know they're not spending beyond what those guys were pegged at um I think some of those numbers were reached because of their salary cap issues right now, as we're recording this podcast for example, they're about three point one million dollars over or under uh the cap and they're gonna need roughly twelve million dollars for their Their draft class, assuming that they use all those picks, so that would have re-signing Lorenzo Carter one would have meant at that price one would have meant that they would have had to release somebody else or restructure somebody else, or it would have meant that. Well, I I should say, and it would have meant then that they would have been down to roughly zero dollars in cap space with needing to clear that 12 million for the draft. So there are a lot of financial issues that are going into this, but it also includes those evaluations, but beyond just those two things like for Carter for example, the deal that Atlanta gave him actually canceled out another signing that the Giants made as far as the compensatory pick formula goes right now and as of this recording The Giants are in line to potentially have a fifth-round pick and a seventh-round pick and a seventh-round pick that they would not have had if Carter didn't sign that specific deal, the way it was structured in Atlanta. So I think a lot of those things factor in. So when it came to Carter, it was all three things combined, plus the reality that for the vast majority of his career, he had busted out. The only reason that he was given that contract by Atlanta at the dollar amount that he was is simply because he had a really strong final month of the season, and they're hoping that maybe he had finally reached that ceiling that everybody had expected of them. And that may end up being true, but that's the gamble that Atlanta is going to have to take. Shane decided he didn't want to take that.
0: Yeah. And, and there has been some wins, right? I mean, like I said, I don't think it's a purging of, of the roster. We got Sterling Shepard and Blake Martinez back, right? Obviously on, on pay cuts, but I think those are, those are wins for the giants and, and giants fans getting those two guys back. Uh, apparently we, we, Created some money by restructuring the kicker, Dan. So that's that shows you where the Giants are as well, right? We're restructuring <laughs> the kicker's contract to get some some cap space. I don't think that happens uh, all the time, but yeah.
1: Well, you got yeah, to remember, Gettleman and Abrams gave him a pretty hefty deal. <laughs> yeah, of course, uh, of course. So yeah, We're cleaning so up that eventually. mess. Uh, I, I think that was an indictment more of um, of what Gano is as an NFL kicker and what he means to the team because Shane. Very specifically said that he wasn't going to restructure deals, add Boyd years, or kick the can down the road. But that's precisely what he did with Gano. But he's only done that with Gano. So I think more than just wanting to keep the kicker on the roster, I think there's a, you know, more of a long-term commitment uh, to Gano, not just beyond, you know, next season, but potentially with another new contract coming his way as long as he plays well uh, this coming season. But for the other guys you mentioned, Shepard, you mentioned Martinez, obviously. You know, coming off of major injuries and ACL for uh, for M- Martinez, which is you know always a significant injury and usually kind of hinders the the subsequent year. Um, so it was really key to to get those salaries down. And those guys would have been cut if they didn't take the pay cuts. And I think that they both realized that coming off those significant injuries, they were probably only going to get one year approved deals for. You know the veteran minimum or near veteran minimum anyway, um, so it made sense for both sides to kind of meet in the middle there. Now Shepard, in particular, he took a pretty hefty pay cut, but I think that speaks volumes about his commitment to the Giants. And of course, you know Martinez and Shepard, as team leaders, were both there when Brian Dave was introduced as head coach, and I thought at the time that that was pretty telling. And and that turned out to be the case. Yeah, no doubt. And
0: they're attacking the offensive line, Dan, which is refreshing, right? especially after the last off season. Um, What do you think of the Glowinski signing? And they brought in John Feliciano, former Bills offensive lineman. He comes over on a really cheap one-year deal. Um, He could play guard or center. Sounds like he's going to play center, especially with what we're hearing from Nick Gates, right? Uh, But what do you think about Feliciano and Glowinski? And maybe what does that mean for the draft, too? Does that mean – does that change their approach in the draft? I still feel like they're going to draft at least two offensive linemen. But when, right? When do they attack offensive line in the draft? Do they still – go after it with maybe their first two picks like we were kind of hoping for a month ago, or does or that change now, in your opinion, now that they've, they've added some depth here at, on the O-line, got some veterans in here?
1: Well, I don't necessarily think it changes the approach too much. Listen, the Giants entered the offseason with the need for four starting offensive linemen and multiple guys added for depth. That's, how, that's just how devoid of talent and depth they were along the offensive line last year. It was embarrassing. And I don't know if these are huge upgrades. I would consider both of them, uh, Feliciano and Glowinski, as day one starters at center and potentially right guard. Um, Beyond that, though, you know, Feliciano only has the, the one year deal, and the Giants are going to need to move on the year after that. The future of Nick Gates, who apparently had a uh, setback and rehab, is, is uncertain. I still think they go into the draft and immediately land a right tackle, which is a desperate need for them. I think they'll use one of their first two, uh, one of their two first round picks on an offensive tackle, a right tackle, whoever that may be. Obviously, there's a lot of debate over who that's going to be. They seem particularly interested in Charles Cross of late. Uh, there's also a lot of rumor and speculation now that Evan Neal could potentially drop to them, so we'll see how that shakes out. I still think they're going to take one of them at that position. I also wouldn't rule out them potentially, you know, taking a guard or even a center at, at some point in the draft, knowing that you know in 2023 and beyond they're going to need somebody. Um, so they can always bring someone in in the middle rounds. It's easier to find. You know, quality offensive line talent in the middle rounds doesn't always have to be a first-round pick. So I think they're definitely going to tool around with several more offensive linemen. I don't think uh, what you see in 2022 by any stretch of the imagination is going to be finalized. They also still have Shane Lemieux coming back who could potentially compete at left guard. So there are some pieces, but the Giants were so devoid of talent along the offensive line that even adding the two starters and several of the reserves that they've added so far, they still need two, three, four more pieces along the offensive line. So I absolutely would expect them to draft um, for those needs and potentially even sign some more people in, leading up to the draft at those positions.
0: Yeah, it, it feels like we're going to have at least one rookie starting on the O-line. No doubt. <laughs> we're definitely okay. at least one, <laughs> and it could change throughout the year. Uh, how many rookies yeah, right? are going to start across the board, Dan? Like a, right.
1: lot? a ton. Yeah. I mean, there's bound to be a ton. Like. I know Giants fans have high expectations for the season and they want to return to winning after such a long time of not winning um, to the point where it actually became a circus and a laughing stock. And, you know, let's, ah, boy, let's look ahead, and not backwards, shall we? Um, so, yeah, you're going to see a lot of rookies. You're going to see a lot of undrafted rookie free agents. You're going to see a lot of street free agents. Uh, there's going to be a lot of plug and play going on. And, and that, I think that's for the best. The Giants are trying to figure out who fits the bill long-term. They're really looking more at 2023 as a return to prominence more than 2022. This is a rebuilding year, a foundation building year. And you see that in Joe Shane's approach to free agency. And I think you'll see that when the approach to the draft as well.
0: Yeah. We always avoid the, the rebuild word, but that's the only word to use. It's, it's like a tryout year, right? Guys, like a, a got, look at a guy like Ricky Seals Jones, right? The former Washington tight end Giants fans should know who Ricky Seals Jones is. Uh, he comes over on a cheap one-year vet minimum deal. Obviously, Kyle Rudolph moved on early, early in the process. And then Evan Ingram's now with Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, much cheaper option than Evan Ingram based on what Ev- Ingram got to move over to Jacksonville, right? I actually like the Ricky Seals-Jones move uh, if you want to try him out because he's never really gotten a chance, Dan. Uh, he's only 27. He's huge. 6'5", 243 pounds, he made some plays in Washington when he got an opportunity. He was just playing behind Logan Thomas, and then they drafted uh, a rookie, I think, last year, a tight end, John Bates. So he was kind of just in the mix. He wasn't really a featured part. It sounds like he could be involved in the in the passing game right now. He is the starting tight end right now until we right go to the draft. Uh, and he's kind of a – he's on a prove-it kind of deal, vet minimum – Getting his first chance to actually play a little bit and not be behind uh, an established veteran starter. I kind of like the Ricky Seals Jones move. What do you think about it?
1: I, I just, honestly, I just think it's another role player depth kind of move. Um, there's certain upside to it, of course. I think one of my biggest gripes with that signing right now is that the Giants are going from someone who. Is publicly acknowledged to have major drop issues to a player who actually has a worse drop percentage than Evan Ingram does. Don't, don't tell me that. I told you I liked the signing. Don't <laughs> tell me that. I didn't know that. And, and, and um, I, I do that. That concerns me for obvious reasons. I think drops are something that players can get over mentally, but I also think that they're an issue that players can become consumed by mentally. So I don't know enough about Seals Jones Jr. The or Seals Jones the person to determine whether or not that's sort of the issue as it was with Evan Ingram. So if he can come to New York and a fresh start's what he needs and mentally he clears himself out and, you know, he can get that under control, he's obviously going to have a role in the offense. He's certainly going to get the opportunity. The key is, like Ingram, Evan Ingram before him, forget the contracts. He's going to have to make the most of those opportunities. And if he doesn't, he comes in and, you know, has an issue with those drops. He's going to get moved down that depth chart. As a minimum salary player, really fast, so he's in a good spot right now. But he's going to need to have a strong camp, preseason, and early start to the season, or that's going to fall off really quick.
0: All right, so much for Seals Jones being a sleeper. I I thought he's going to be a fantasy sleeper.
1: uh, Certainly potential. There's certainly, but listen, if the Giants come out of the draft without having drafted a clear-cut starting tight end, hey, then maybe you do have a fantasy sleeper there because. Who else are you going to throw to at the tight end position? (laughs) No one else. There's really not anybody else there. So, um, you know, if that turns out to be the case, then he's going to have a large predominant role uh, for the Giants offensively. There's no doubt about it. I just don't expect that to be the case. I fully anticipate Shane and company drafting a a tight end, whether it's early in the draft, late in the draft. They've been very, very keen on keeping their eyes on all tight end prospects, particularly in the last, I'd say, week or so. Uh, They seem to be checking out every single one that's available. Uh, which to me leads me to believe given that it's a position of need, they're do- not just doing their due diligence. they're heavily investigating these guys seeing who would be a fit personally, professionally as a player and I would expect them to draft one of them maybe maybe even two, but I would say at least one
0: yeah, it's got to be all about fit right because how else do we how else do we like justify the Logan Ryan release right because that yeah one, that's um... that, he was cheap. He was cheap, and he's was a he was a captain, wasn't he, Dan? He was a captain, yes. So I mean, d- when Devonte Booker got cut, and they brought in like Matt Breida, it's like that's not all that surprising, right? I mean, none of us were cheer you know cheerleading the the Devante Booker signing. Actually, we were all like, "Huh? <laughs> what are we doing?" Uh, but uh, Logan Ryan was that one was a little bit more mm-hmm. jarring, right? That one made you sit sit back and be like, "Huh? What's the plan there?" It must be a system thing, right? <sighs>
1: I, I wish I had the answer to that question, honestly. I don't I don't know if it's a system issue. It almost felt like it was a personal issue if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. And again, that's an interpretation. That's that's just a personal interpretation. That's not a report or anything like that. So I don't want people to hear that and, and run off and say, you know, Shane had a personal issue with Logan Ryan. I don't know that to be the case. Well, maybe Dayball. Right? Is there any
0: crossover in <laughs> New England with those two? I, I would have to go back and look. I don't have that prepared. Um, I, I don't have it.
1: I don't have it up either. But um yeah. go on. Very well made. May have been Um, bottom line is, is that Ryan was a good player who didn't necessarily have the best season last year. Um, We, we talked about that on the podcast and we actually got heavily criticized for daring to suggest that maybe Logan Ryan wasn't playing up to par. I I stand by the fact that he wasn't playing up to par. I don't know how much that factored into the release. Uh, You know, they created a void at a position. Now they have another needed safety that they didn't necessarily have before it makes sense if you go into the draft and you know you're going to use one of the first two, you know, one of the two first-round picks on safety. I, I don't know that they can guarantee that that's going to be the case, though, because who's it going to be? Kyle Hamilton or, you know, and then at, when you reach that or point, how many of them are worth a five or seven pick? I think maybe only Hamilton is. Yeah. So if you're going into it and, you, you know, Hamilton's your guy and you're confident you're going to get him, then I understand that release. But eating that much dead cap space putting that much of an onus financially on a team that's already financially crippled this offseason only to create a void at a position where you need and in the locker room where you lost a captain, it's a very curious decision.
0: Yeah, and, th- and that kind of leads me to James Bradbury, right? Um, you know, I know they're shopping him, right? They would love to get a mid-round draft pick probably, Dan, back uh, and-, and save $12 million off this year's cap or whatever it is uh, by moving Bradbury. Uh, but also you're just you're losing well, arguably, you know, he's one of your best players on defense, right? Top three yep. on defense and you're losing that player. Uh, and you'll probably also have to eat some of his salary if you move him. So mm-hmm. that uh, that's that's tough. That's tough to swallow as well as a fan. Um, the, the other guy I'm wondering about is Saquon Barkley, right? I mean it sounds like between Barkley and Bradbury, it sounds like one of them will probably get moved. Sounds like Bradbury's probably the better chance. Uh, but I mean, if they move Saquon, are, we can't go into the season with Matt Breida and Gary Brightwell and Antonio Williams as the running back room, right? Like, we can't do that. So, so like, what's I mean, going on with
1: those two? I could they though? I mean, could they? I think that's that's that's, the, that's a better question. Is Matt Breida when you out? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, but Saquon can't stay on the field, and uh, that's just the reality of it. And that's you know, I'm not I'm not trying to knock Saquon the person. Um, I know that he he loves the game of football, and I know that he works very hard to stay on the field. Um, but what good is a player who you don't have and you can't use? Um, and let's be honest, the Giants running backs have not been great uh, for quite a few years. I mean, if you look back, Booker was actually more productive than Saquon a year ago. Um, Orleans Dark was more productive than Saquon was. Um, so you, you have some issues when it comes to that. That's just the reality of it. Um, Saquon's production as well as the increase in uptick in injuries has actually decreased. He's gotten significantly worse in terms of production. Um, his field vision seems to have fallen off his, uh, his burst, you know, it may be a little bit less. I think that may come back a bit more this year after knee and ankle injury. So I'm not so quick to write that off. I'm not one of those people that are like, Oh, he lost the step, um, but he lost some confidence. He, you know, he, he lost his field vision. Like I said, there's the injury issues. Um, whether or not the Giants trade him, I don't think they're going to be able to. I, I just don't see that the market's there. You've got um, you know, a highly paid running back who's coming off a series of injuries, decreasing production. So I just don't think the market's going to develop for him there. But if they were to trade him, I don't necessarily know that they would be in a worse situation in terms of production uh, than they have been in recent years. When, even when you look at the Russian production as a whole in recent years, if you take out what Daniel Jones has added to it, the Giants have some real problems there. So would some of these reserve running backs that they signed on a whim for low deals, you know, would it really be worse? I don't know. I can't say for sure, to be honest with you. I'd be willing to give it a chance. Uh, but that only comes if the Giants are able to clear that salary cap space. If you can't do it, then you got to keep them. And going to Bradbury, I think that's an interesting conundrum in itself because they've essentially, you know, there are reports out there that say that the Giants essentially against releasing Bradbury if they can't trade him so if the market doesn't develop for him there which they apparently hope is going to during the draft do you then eat crow and end up releasing him and take that financial hit and get nothing in return or do you just bite the bullet and eat the cap and keep one of the better defensive players on your team on your team Uh, so I think that's an interesting decision the Giants are going to have to make but ultimately more so than Barkley I imagine come draft time that market's going to materialize, and they're going to take anything that they can get just so they can shed that salary.
0: If they move Bradbury, Dan, do you think Corner becomes a top target with one of those first two picks in the draft for the Giants?
1: It's hard. Yes, like, I want to say they go yes. Your
0: sauce from Cincinnati, right. you know. What right, I mean? and
1: that—that and that, that was as soon as you asked that question. That was the first thought that went into my head. Like it makes sense that they would. Um, but again, I, I also think Shane wants to trade one of those picks for 2023 draft capital. They really seem intent on stockpiling that sort of draft capital, but you can only handcuff yourself so much. Uh, Assume they do trade Barkley and assume they do trade Bradbury both. Then in addition to releasing Ryan where you created a situation of safety where you need someone, now you need another running back and you need another cornerback in addition to at least two offensive linemen, an inside linebacker, a nose tackle, an edge rusher, and you see how this spirals out of control there. So the Giants really need to be very careful about their decisions on who they trade and who they release uh, because it's already a thin roster and they're creating issues in different places for financial flexibility in a year that's already essentially lost. Um, so it's it's a tall order that Shane's got in front of them. But if they do trade Bradbury, then then yes, I would be inclined to say uh, that they would be looking for a cornerback early on. But that also conflicts with their need at safety. So if, if let's say they take um, a right tackle at number five and number seven comes up, and you've got Sauce and you've got Kyle Hamilton on the board, let's just say hypothetically, then the Giants have a real. A re- it's a you listen. It's an embarrassment it's of riches. I guess at that point, yeah. It's a good problem to have. But your selection is going to leave you a bad problem on the other end of that based on that trade and that release. Um, so the Giants do – they've got to be careful in how they maneuver here because they can only create so many holes that they're able to fill with the nine picks that they have. So I know they need the financial flexibility, but they've got to be careful in how they do that.
0: Well, back when you were talking about uh, Saquon – You mentioned Daniel Jones. I I don't think we've ever gone, what, 20, 25 minutes into a show, Dan, without mentioning (laughs) Daniel Jones. But that just – we have to to get to Tyrod Taylor, right? We have to get to Tyrod Taylor. So the Giants, Dan, they're not paying anybody besides Glowinski, this uh, offensive lineman from Indy who, you know, that Colts offensive line were just mauling people last year, paving the way for Jonathan Taylor to have a huge year, right? I don't know if he fell out of favor over there. But whatever. If he's their trash, he's the Giants treasure because he's a he's a major upgrade at right guard. Glovinsky is. Um, mm-hmm. but if Glovinsky gets three years, 18.3 million, 11 million guaranteed, and that's the big signing so far. He's the only guy that's gotten more than two years. And all these other signings are like, you know, cheap one-year, you know, deals. You got Tyrod Taylor. You actually spent some money on Tyrod Taylor, right? Two years, eleven million. That's almost fully guaranteed for your backup quarterback, Dan, right? And when that happened. A lot of Giants fans were like, wait a minute, I thought we were I thought we were bargain hunting. I thought we were I thought we were like worried about the cap. I thought we were trying to clear space for the draft and everything. Like why are we paying for a backup quarterback? Tyrod Taylor becomes one of your more expensive free agents so far, uh, because of the guaranteed money in his two year deal, right? So give me your, your leadoff take on Tyrod. What do you think about him coming over here? He's a pretty good quarterback. Definitely solves the uh the Mike Lennon problem, right? Yeah, the, that's for sure. uh sure. Uh, the Jake Fromm problem—he pr- solves that issue, uh, but I think it was a little bit, a little bit of controversy when he got signed. Right? People were surprised that the the Giants paid so much for a backup
1: quarterback. What's your thoughts on it? I just want to ask those fans if they watched any of the games where Daniel Jones didn't play <laughs> Did last you watch year. Go back and watch Fromm. <laughs> I mean, listen, Joe Shane made it abundantly clear from day one that one of the biggest issues they saw with the 2021 Giants was the performance of their backup quarterbacks. He insisted that he would not allow those issues to take place where the Giants are running back-to-back sneaks inside their own five-yard line because they're afraid to run a play. That was not going to happen on his watch. And they were very specific in the fact that they wanted a mobile backup quarterback to Daniel Jones. Taylor certainly fits that bill. And they wanted someone who would go in and could be confident and lead a team and still give them a chance to win if he has to from the backup quarterback position, Taylor does that. And there's also obviously a little familiarity with the coaching staff. Um, so it seemed like a good fit. But here's the other thing that's really key when you're talking about the guarantees and the finances of this. One is that the the contract is broken down in a way that the first year, 2022, isn't really that big of a deal. His his base salary is like $1.25 million, something like that. His cap hit is under $3 million. It's the 2023 mark where the big money on Tyrod Taylor comes in. And that kind of gives the Giants an out if things don't work out with Daniel Jones. If, you know, if it does, Jones comes out and lights things up and they sign him to an extension, they could always look to trade Taylor, potentially release him, or even keep him as as a quality backup. All of those become realistic options in 2023. But they're kind of hedging their bets. So if Jones doesn't work out and they, you know, go in and say draft a quarterback early in next year's draft that they view as their future, well, then they can learn under Tyrod Taylor that first year, and the Giants don't have to immediately throw him into the fire. So it was kind of a bet hedge thing. And on top of all of that, I think it was a great signing because personally I've always viewed Tyrod Taylor as a good, above-average quarterback with above-average arm and intelligence who's just kind of like a hard luck kind of guy. Below-average luck, yeah. Yeah, like way, way below below average luck. Like puncturing your lung while working with the team doctor and things like that. How did that happen? Right. It's it's crazy things that derailed this guy's career. It's not been his play. It's been the ridiculous way in which he finds ways to get injured, some of which are not even his fault. And I know people will slap that injury-prone label on him, but here's the thing. Daniel Jones is every bit as mm injury-prone as Tyrod Taylor is. So whether Taylor is your starter or... Or Jones is your starter. Guess what? The other guy is going to play in some games this year and that's just all there is to it. So no, it's not necessarily a quarterback by committee thing. But Tyrod Taylor was given that kind of money because he's a good quarterback who can come in, will have to play and could keep the train and the wheels moving uh, for the Giants when that happens. And then obviously gives him another out in 2023. So for me personally, I think that was one of the better signings of the entire offseason and of all of the backup quarterbacks that they had to pick from. I am extremely happy that the Giants ended up on Taylor.
0: I love that, Dan, because as I know you are a Daniel Jones guy, so mm-hmm. you you loving the uh, Tyrod signing is telling. I think that tells us a lot about, about what well, you're...
1: I, I view. I view Taylor very much in the same way that I view Daniel Jones uh, and that's the truth. I think that they've one have had to deal with a lot of injury issues throughout their career. Taylor's they're they're less his fault than Daniel Jones are his fault. That's just the reality of it. But beyond that, they've also been crippled by just terrible talent around them and for Taylor in multiple different places, for Jones obviously it's in 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 new york here and then again you look at daniel jones who's going through different coaches different systems different offensive coordinators different quarterback coaches it's the same thing with taylor has been bouncing around so i view them very much in the same light i think they're very talented quarterbacks who have just gotten a very bad shake in the nfl so far both of them have a higher ceiling that needs to be reached more potential than we've seen and whether it's daniel Jones or whether it's Tyrod taylor I, i think if they can both stay healthy and on the field whoever it may be uh, I still think there's, a, there's a ways that they can go as NFL quarterbacks. I both think that they could be above average, to maybe even very good starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And, you know, I, I just think it's a good insurance policy for Daniel Jones, who is bound to be injured. The problem with it is, and this is the issue that some Daniel Jones fans like myself will probably have to come to grips with at some point in time, is if he goes down and Taylor comes in and plays well, even if Daniel Jones had been playing well before, can you then sit down Taylor or is that the end of Daniel Jones? Yeah. So that's going to be the tree, the key there. And then for Taylor on the other end of that spectrum, it's going to be on staying on the field himself because if he comes in and plays well when Daniel Jones is out, but then he gets injured, well, then it's is shipped to run again. So I, I think that's why it's a good signing, but I also think it's going to create you know competition between those two knowing Full well, that this guy could either keep the job or he could take my job. So, for that reason also, I think it's a good it's a good signing for the Giants because it should propel both of these guys to finally reach that next tier in their careers. Yeah, a little <clears throat>
0: excuse me. Yeah, a little bit more competition than uh, Glennon and Fromm was giving Daniel. Yeah, a yeah. tiny bit, just a tiny bit. Yeah, it, it's it is it is a tough shake when you get called injury prone when the when the team doctor stabs you with a needle, right. and punctures your right. leg. Yeah, that's that's tough to get the injury prone label when yeah. that happens to you you know so yeah so tyrod i mean only only good for fodder right just wait until the the summer damn when we start getting the
1: the training yeah that's the thing there's the, yeah. some people may want to call it fodder there's no fodder with taylor yeah i think giants fans who have never really seen him before are going to be extremely surprised with his athletic ability and his arm strength when he gets on the field and, you know, he's actually out there for people to see what he's capable of doing, how quick he acclimates into the giant system with all these new players. Obviously, that remains to be seen. I really hope that he joins Daniel Jones down in North Carolina for their offseason workouts this year. Get as much effort and put as much effort in, get as many reps as you can with your teammates build as much a rapport as you possibly can because Taylor is going to play this year. That's just all there is to it. If Daniel Jones plays all 17 games, that's great for multiple reasons because that means he stayed healthy the whole season. And that means he played well enough to stay in that whole season. So if that happens, terrific for the giants, but I wouldn't bank on it. I expect to see him both play this year.
0: And and let's leave it here on the quarterback topic, because we mentioned at the start of the show that it's been an insane NFL offseason, Dan, uh, and it has, right? Russell Wilson is now a Denver Bronco. <laughs> Deshaun Watson is now uh, a Brown. And Baker right. Mayfield is out there kind of in limbo, a former first-round pick. All these quarter—I mean, Matt Ryan's a Colt, right? Like, right. They, 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 it's crazy. It is uh, nuts. And teams that were equipped with draft capital could have gone out and been in been in the running for these guys. I look at a guy like Russell Wilson. I mean, who has better draft capital than the Giants? They had a, they have all their draft picks are crazy valuable, and they have two in the top seven this year. Dan, they could have been in on Russell Wilson if they decided that's what they wanted to do, um, if they had the money for right. it. Right, and if and maybe Wilson has a say in that too, right? He probably had a no trade clause or something. He but did. He did. Should they have been in on any of these quarterbacks, or do you back their approach to kind of play it slow, kick the can to twenty twenty three, do the prove it year with Daniel Jones, give him one more shot at it? Um, And then make make some decisions next offseason. Are you are you okay with that? Or do you are you of the belief that the Giants should have been in? They should have at least picked up the phone. They should have at least tried to be in on some of these guys to get a franchise quarterback in here. What do you think on that?
1: Well, I think it all comes down to the finances. I really do. And I know that, you know, that's some people view that as a cop out answer, but that's. You know, this is the reality of the situation. The Giants, they weren't in enough cap space to take on the salary of any of these guys. And if they had done that, and they had given up all that draft capital, one, it would have left them without the ability to rebuild that offensive line, which is so desperately needed. And then, how valuable is the quarterback anyway? And you know, two, beyond that, um, you know, how do you how do you clear that cap space? How many other areas of the team do you have to create voids at? in order to clear enough cap space to bring in someone like a Wilson. Um, and I just don't think the Giants had the means to do that. They're thin enough as it is. There wasn't enough cap space. They would have had to get rid of more than Barkley. They would have had to get rid of more than Bradbury. All of the guys they released, they would have to release other guys. They probably would have had to get rid of Leonard Williams, and then you create a problem there. So listen, if the Giants had had that money to compete for Those quarterbacks, I absolutely believe they should have been on the phone trying to make a deal for them and probably would have been able to given the draft capital they have. But the reality is, the finances of the Gettleman and, and Abrams era prevented them from doing that. So it was one last, one last present from Dave Gettleman, the Giants fans. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> saying, Oh, every all these quarterbacks are moving, you could have a chance at them. Sorry, guys, you're stuck where you are, and that's unfortunate. Uh, because I very much think the Giants probably would have been in on someone like Russell Wilson, who had been rumored to tell the Seahawks that he was willing to waive his no-trade clause to New York. Now, whether or not that was the Jets or the Giants, I'll leave everybody else to debate that. But I think we both know the answer to that question.
0: Yeah. So there's a lot of work still to be done with the Giants, right, Dan? Um, you know, I'll give you the final word. And I you. mean,
1: hey, uh, Baker Mayfield's still out there. Why don't the Giants trade for him? <laughs> yeah. <same> Obviously, <laughs> I'm, before people run wild on that, I'm I'm absolutely kidding. I don't care if he was at the veteran the veteran salary benefit kind of a dollar line there i don't think uh you know because skip bellis this week was like the giants yeah. us trade for baker mayfield because he'll quote unquote light up new york no he would be eaten alive in new york it's a maturity <laughs> couldn't handle this city not for a single second p.s he's not that good of a quarterback so no i i hate this conversation i can't believe that it's even a conversation with baker mayfield i think given everything that he said throughout the years his knocks on Daniel Jones, his slams on the Giants, his comments on Eli Manning in the past. You reap what what you sow in the end, and things are really working out for Baker Mayfield the exact way they should.
0: Yeah. We'll leave it right there, Dan. I mean, can you imagine Baker Mayfield, you know, he does those commercials where he owns the Brown Stadium, right? He, that's his home and he's, you know, those commercials. Where would he do those in New York? Somewhere in New York City like he owns the city, right? Those commercials. <laughs> they have to change the Could you commercials. could
1: you imagine? He can't handle the press in in Cleveland. Could you imagine how he'd be able to handle the the, the press in New York? He couldn't handle Odell That's what I'm saying. He couldn't
0: even handle Odell Beckham. And
1: and how about Odell thinking that he would go off to Cleveland and be in a better situation with Mayfield than he was with Eli Manning? That didn't work out, did it? No, no.
0: No, but he he got himself a ring.
1: Yeah, that's true. He did get himself himself, a
0: ring. It
1: worked out for him. But that Cleveland trip, that didn't didn't necessarily work out. But I I think that's kind of foot-and-mouth syndrome for Baker Mayfield and company. I think he sort of – he sort of did this to himself, began to isolate teammates, have issues with coaches, have issues with media, post stupid things on social media. <laughs> um, if you can't handle it, the heat in Cleveland, it, it's completely illogical to think that he'd be able to handle the heat in New York. And that's why Skip Ellis is giving hot takes on television and he's not running a team in the NFL. The 100% yeah. Skip's
0: just trying to get ratings. That's all he's yep. trying to do. <laughs> uh, all right, Dan, so we covered a lot of, a lot there. There's a lot to catch up on. Anything else you're working on on Giants Wire that people should be checking out this week?
1: Uh, there's a lot of draft prep, a lot of yep. stuff where, uh, you know, pro day visits. The Giants are, are doing meetings with prospects, informal, formal meetings. I think things are going to slow down here for a little while. Uh, they'll pick back up. The Giants have a pre-draft minicamp that will come up next month, early next month, maybe mid-next month. The dates haven't been released yet, uh, so that's certainly something to keep an eye on. And then from there, there'll be pre-draft, pre-draft press conferences from Dave Ball and Shone, uh, Shane at some point, and uh, that's really about it. It's it's just a lot of draft prep and a lot of free agency cleanup. Um, then it'll get quiet till the draft, and then it'll pick back up with mini camps and OTAs after that.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be fun because and we'll be getting into some of that draft prep ourselves here on the show because not only do the Giants have nine draft picks, but a lot of those guys are gonna play this year based on what yeah. we're seeing with the roster. So. It's going to be a really fascinating draft for the Giants, not only because of where they're selecting, but because these these players are going to be foundational pieces for the future. What they're trying to build here, uh, this and is a, given, this is a given, huge draft class.
1: Oh no, and I think given given the number of areas of need the Giants have, if they end up using all nine of those picks, I could very realistically see all nine of those players playing a significant role this season.
0: Agreed, so. agreed, agreed. So. Good to be back with you, Dan. Um, I'm Ryan O'Leary again. Please check out GiantsWire for all the latest.